morning, everyone. It's always amazing to be here at the church together, at gathering together. You know, this is just a building, and we happen to gather in this building, but we gather as a church, amen? Well, this past week I was blessed to attend uh, the Courageous Churchman Conference at uh, Grace Emmanuel Baptist Church in uh, Jupiter, Florida. just wanted you to know that I'm thankful to be able to have attended and that the conference was uh, incredible. I think you can actually, I commend the video to you or the, the sessions to you. On, you think you can access them on the Facebook page, on the uh, GIBC Facebook page. I would uh, especially encourage you to listen to the session number five, uh, David Doran. And, but here's the danger if you choose to do so, if you choose to accept this mission. He will demonstrate true expository preaching. He did a masterful job of preaching the text. He used the grammar, the context, the historical setting, along with wonderful illustrations, which he masterfully used to exhort the listener. But if you listen to that sermon, you, you will leave with an understanding of the text, and you'll leave with a desire to obey it. Uh, but if you listen to him, this is the warning, if you listen to him, you'll raise your expectation of your very own pastor. But that's okay. I'm hopeful that I can re- use my remaining time as a, as a preacher to continue to improve the craft of preaching God's Word. And I certainly, I certainly appreciate when I see someone who uh, does it well. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul told Timothy to take pains with these things so that his progress would be evident to all. All preachers of God, the gospel would do well to pay attention to Paul's exhortations so that their progress will be evident to all. But what about the rest of us? What about the rest of us who don't preach the Word of God, at least publicly? Is it important for our progress, those who don't preach, to be evident? If it is important, then how do we make progress in the Christian life? How do we guard against, this is probably the bigger question, how do we guard against falling back into the foolishness of our old lives before Christ? Well, we'll see the answers to these questions and more in our verses today. Actually, today we're only going to preach one verse today. Before we start, I want you to know that we'll be taking our time through this section of the letter. I want us to fully grasp the wisdom in these verses. Today, this past week, I was gripped by this one verse in Ephesians. So I want to start by reading Ephesians in chapter 5, where we, are, we find ourselves. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father 
and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let me pray, and then we'll start. I just want to remind you before I pray um, that we will be having communion uh, just after the sermon. So as I preach, I just would ask, we would ask that you prepare your hearts for communion. Uh, we have the little communion cups that were up on the credenza. If you haven't grabbed one, uh, we've been doing this since uh, COVID. Um, so grab one of those and we'll, we'll observe communion in a, in a few moments. Heavenly Father, we thank you again. Thank you for this time of being able to come together for worship. Let's pray now for the preaching of the word. Pray that your word would be clearly preached. Pray for the Holy Spirit to help us understand and grasp the Word of God. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as I told you, I attended the Courageous Churchman Conference early last week, and I hope that some of the men can invest the time to join me at next year's conferences. You know, good conferences are certainly an investment in time and in money, yet they are at many times very fruitful. I have attended many great conferences over the years, and they have proven to be incredible times of growth in my Christian walk. Therefore, they haven't been a waste of time and resources if they're rightly approached. Well, the goal of these conferences, is, of course, is to bring together a large group of men from many backgrounds for the purpose of edification. Now, this is accomplished through, of course, the teaching of God's Word, and the fellowship of the men who may not otherwise have an opportunity to be encouraged by one another. At solid Christian conferences, men are urged to press forward in ministry, making the most of their opportunities and the time that they're given. They're also exhorted to study and proclaim the Word of God and to depend upon the work of the Spirit. The men are also encouraged to embrace the role that they've been given in the, in the Church of Jesus Christ, and as such, to make the most of our time at one of these conferences, we must prepare our hearts to receive this encouragement and humility. But what if you went and you didn't rightly approach the time? What if you just decided, what if one of you decided to attend with me, but the whole time you were distracted by your work? Maybe you were even distracted to the point of not attending the sessions or spending time to get to know, getting to know your fellow attendees. And as such, you missed the whole reason for the conference. Well, you might guess, best case scenario, your attendance wouldn't be fruitful. Worst case, you would be a distraction to your brothers who are attending with you. Now, you should be cringing a little inside thinking about this scenario. It's like a bad dream, right? You know, you show up at the conference and, and you don't actually go to the end of the sessions and you completely distracted. I mean, how can you go to a wonderful conference and waste all your time on the phone dealing with work problems? Yet, I've seen it. And here's the thing. In very real ways, we constantly do this in our everyday lives, do we not? We're constantly, we constantly waste our time and our resources. And as such, because we do this, we are ill-prepared for life and we completely waste the opportunities that God has given us. Some folks are distracted to the point that there is precious little that is fruitful in their lives. 
We, va- we waste vast amounts of time on things that do not have eternal values. Think of the young man in, the ba- in his mother's basement playing video games all day, right? But the truth is, is that that's not the only example of wasting time, of wasting resources. You see, when we waste time and we waste resources, we don't fully understand the will of God for us or for the church. And we certainly don't recognize the Spirit's work in our lives or the church because we're too distracted to even pay attention. We kind of show up on a, on a Sunday sliding sideways into the, into the parking lot and we come in here at 1040, which, hey, sometimes we're late, right? But we're distracted, so distracted that we can't bear fruit in our, we don't see fruit in our lives. And as such, we we refuse then to live according to God's specific plan for us. In reality, we don't even fully understand God's plan for us. We don't understand the roles that He's given us. We just want to live according to our own will, right? We make decisions about life based on what pleases us instead of what pleases our Creator. And with all of that, and with all that, we wonder why life is so hard. But instead of recognizing the real problem, which has a clear solution, we drown our sorrows. Many times people drown their sorrows in alcohol and prescription drugs or try to purchase their way to happiness. All the while, we're drowning in debt and we're in absolute misery. Obviously, these things are not pleasing to the Lord Jesus. So how do we avoid those things and live wisely during these evil days? And that's really the, the, the question that Paul answers in this section. Especially considering that most everyone lives, most everyone in this world, we'd have to say, lives according to their own impulses. Now, I've, as I've said on many occasions, there's nothing new under the sun, right? It appears that the saints at Ephesus were facing some similar challenges. They were being challenged by wolves who had sprung up within the church. These wolves, as Paul had promised in Acts 20, these wolves had sprung up from within. And they were apparently saying that we can live, that a Christian can live according to their old way of life and still receive the inheritance in the kingdom and inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. In other words, they were teaching that you can be sexually immoral, that you can be a covetous idolater and still find yourself in the kingdom. But Paul warned them. He warned them. Don't be deceived by these things. Don't be deceived by these empty words. He urged them not to be partakers. Don't join in with them. The saints at Ephesus had had formerly been a part of the darkness, but now they were in the light of the Lord. Therefore, they were to walk as children of the light. They were not to participate in the deeds of darkness, but they were to expose them. Now, it is one thing to say that we are to live to please the Lord. But the big question is, how are we to do that? How are we to do that? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us that we are to walk worthy of the calling. And part of that worthy walk is a call to walk according to the wisdom of God. Our lives are to be founded upon God's wisdom, which is found where? In the Word of God. Now, we started with verse 15 last week, and we, we unpacked that verse. If you haven't heard 
that sermon, I recommend you go listen to it. In a nutshell, Paul says to the Ephesian church, don't walk as fools who live as if God does not exist, but walk according to God's wisdom. And as such, all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, he will show us how to live according to God's wisdom. Now, for now, we're going to focus, we're focusing on verses 16 through 21. Specifically today, I'm just going to tell you up front, I've already said it, but I'll say it again, we are only going to look at verse 16. But the structure of this entire passage is reflected in the outline we're going to start using today. And you'll find that outline in the bulletin. Some of you may be looking at it electronically. Others may have the paper copy. But you can access that and you'll see the structure of the of the of the section so let's pick up in in verse 16 and look at the first instruction that paul gives for walking wisely during these evil days he says first you must redeem your weeks closely now of course i'm playing on the first letter here and and ultimately what he's saying is uh, what you see in verse 15 he said, or verse 16, making the most of your time because uh, the days are evil. Now, this translation is interesting. The word used here is used or has the idea of buying something. Paul actually intensifies the word, uh, and, it, and it, so it should be understood as buying up intensely. Uh, uh, you could use the phrase to snap up at every opportunity. Uh, the New English transla- translation and the New King James Version probably best capture Paul's idea here. The NET uh, translates this verse, taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. The New King James Version translates this verse more simply, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now the idea of the first phrase, redeeming the time, is that time is in short supply, Therefore, we cannot afford to waste any of it. David Brainerd says simply, Brainerd says simply, be careful to make good improvement of precious time. I think that sums up Paul's heart in this passage. You see, time is precious and it's valuable and we need to ensure that we are using it for the right reasons and the right things. Now, I could put us on a huge tangent here and preach to you about saving time. But I don't think that is Paul's main thrust here. Now, I do believe that time management principles can be seen as a principle in these verses, but you know that there, you, you are well aware there are massive resources devoted to those principles. But that's not Paul's direct point. <clears throat> I would argue that Paul wants the Ephesian saints to focus on the reasons... It's important to properly manage our time and resources. Do you see the difference? This is not the nuts and bolts, but we're talking about the reasons why we properly manage our time and resources. As such, the second phrase in this verse helps us understand why it's critical to, to think critically about how we are using our time. He says this, because the days are evil. In the words of the commentator Harold Harold Honer, he says this, 
The days are evil because they are controlled by the God of this age who opposes God and God's kingdom and who will try to prevent any opportunities for the declaration of God's program and purposes. The idea of this second phrase should be understood then through the lens of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you can turn there if you'd like. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 2, 1. Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the, of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, Paul describes their current or their their previous state as Christians their previous state was that they were dead in their trespasses and sins and then he describes in verse 2 he describes the world and he's describing the world in which they walked but he's also describing the world as it is today for those who are unbelievers it's under this world then is under the temporary control of the prince of the power of the air which I take as none other than Satan himself, working through the demonic world. Now, the spirit of the world is now working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, most folks in this world are under the control and influence of Satan. Listen to verse 3. It says, Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So at one time, we were all under this demonic power and influence. Yet God, according to verse 4, God in His mercy saved us. Now, if of course you are a Christian, now let me help you see how this connects with our use of time. You see, God saves us, and then He gives us ministry. Specifically, he gives us ministry to the lost. Now, I would argue that this ministry of reconciliation, picking up on 2 Corinthians 5, is the main purpose for us being left here. Why else would God not have saved us and just take us directly to heaven, right? So, so he left us here, and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God through Christ himself. We have now been made ambassadors for Christ, He uses us to appeal to the children of wrath through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore our time should be used for the main purpose of seeing seeing to it that the gospel is preached to the nations, that we fulfill as a church, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, that we go and proclaim His name to the nations. Now, I said it this way, that, that it, we are, our purpose is to see to it that the gospel is preached. I said it that way because we're all gifted in different ways, and we have different roles within the body of Christ. We're, all, we're not all called to go to the nations as missionaries to preach the gospel, yet we are called to support them by being a part of the church and giving and doing the things that we're called to do. We're not all called to be pastors proclaiming His word from the pulpit, Yet we are called to ensure that gifted pastors are freed up to preach the gospel. Most of us are simply called to preach the gospel in our own homes, to our children, our families. You mothers are called to nurture your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Your your fathers are called to teach and and your family and, and protect them from error. 
But all of you are called to preach the gospel to your neighbors when we're given an opportunity to do so. I don't just mean preaching to physical neighbors. I mean to anyone who crosses our path. And we should, we should, we should be doing all these things with haste. Not wasting time. Not wasting time on pursuits that have no eternal value. Now, for the rest of our time, I want to flesh out six biblical principles regarding the use of our time and you and our, and our resources, and I'll show you how that ties together in a moment. These principles will not help you with, as I said earlier, the, the nuts and bolts of time management, but they will help you understand how you should view time considering eternity. So first, first principle. You must remember that your days on earth are numbered. Therefore, make the most of them. The Bible is abundantly clear that our days are set by God. David makes this clear in Psalm 139.16. He says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. Moses prays in Psalm 90, verse 10, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. His point is that our lives are, our lives are temporary. They're marked out. And, and in Psalm 90, verse 12, he says, Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Now this verse is, is interesting, Psalm 90, verse 12, because it connects having a right understanding of time to living wisely. You could say that the wise man has numbered his days and lives accordingly. Now Paul understood that wise living rightly understands that we've been given a finite number of days and we, are not, we don't know those days as of yet. This brings us to the second principle of time and resource management according to the Bible. Second. You must recognize that time is fleeting and that we all face death and judgment. Psalm 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. James picks up on this principle in James 4.14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes away. So therefore, Christian, you are not, you must not live as if you are promised tomorrow. Our days are like the steam off a, a coffee cup. Solomon says it this way, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Though this life is but vanity and passing away, we are responsible for everything that we do in this life. We see this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Listen to, to the preacher. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So everything is going to be brought to light. Everything is going to be under His scrutiny of judgment. The writer of Hebrews states in Hebrews 9.27, 
it inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes what? Judgment. Judgment. Clearly, as Christians, we must be aware of the judgment of God and that the judgment of God awaits every person who dies because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having finished, furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. That's also in Hebrews 9. Beloved, the day is coming very soon when unbelievers will stand before the judgment of God and will be judged according to their deeds. You see that picture in Revelation 20 where the sea gives up the dead and, the, and death and Hades give up the dead and, which were in them and they were judged and every one of them are judged according to their deeds. And then if anyone's name, according to Revelation 20, 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So every person who lives will stand in judgment before the, the Lord God. Therefore, we must live with an awareness of this coming judgment. Now, you may be asking about the believer. Will the believer be judged? The answer is a resounding yes, just not the great white throne judgment. Our judgment as a believer, as believers, will be different. It will be for the purpose of rewards, not punishment. So as Christians, we must live with the awareness that we will face this judgment. In 1 Corinthians 5.10, Paul states, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that we each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So all of our deeds are going to be out there. And it's going to be judged whether good or bad. Sometimes we do work that's not wrought in Christ. And these works will be revealed, according to Paul, as wood, hay, and straw, and they will be burned away. And, and our works that are, that are gold, silver, and precious stone will become evident in that day. And Paul writes, in, in, again in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 14, if any man... If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he, will, he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So we will face that judgment in the days to come. David Brainerd again wisely says, Oh, how precious is time, and how it pains me to see it slide away while I do so little to any good purpose. End quote. This is a man who recognizes that time is fleeting. Time is fleeting. And that we all face death and judgment. With this truth in view, we must live every day in light of God's impending judgment. And third, third principle, you must live with your heart oriented toward eternity. You must live with your heart oriented toward eternity. God has created us not for the temporal, but for eternity. In Genesis 1.26-28, we were created in the image and likeness of God. God Himself is eternal. Now, we have to understand that God, we are not eternal in the same way. He was, He is, and He always will be. He has always been, and He always will be. He is the great I Am. We're not eternal in that way. But we do reflect His eternality, right? 
We have been created, but we will live forever. And God has set eternity in the heart of man. That's Ecclesiastes 3.11. And He has sent His Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to indwell His people. And it is in this way that we can understand the works and the character of God. It's in this way we begin to see eternity. As such, Paul told the Corinthians, I prayed this earlier, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. In other words, you might suffer greatly in this life, but your suffering is but a moment and is light compared to the glory of eternity. There is no comparison. Then Paul gives the principle... And Paul gives the principle in verse 18. While we look at not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Therefore, we, uh, we are to understand eternity because God, or we understand eternity because God has set it in our hearts and has given us the Spirit of God so that we can comprehend eternity. Church, your life, your life on this earth is fleeting. It is passing away. You are here today and you're gone tomorrow. The suffering that you experience here is nothing compared to eternity. Therefore, you must live by considering the eternal, not the temporal. This must be true in everything you do. It must be true in every decision you make whether it's how you choose a spouse or how you rear your kids, whether it's how you view sickness and suffering or how you endure death's throes, you must always live with eternity in your hearts and in your minds. H.A. Ironside says it this way, time is given us to use in view of eternity. It's simple, right? Time is given us to use in view of eternity. Therefore, it brings us to principle number four. You must make all your decisions with eternity in view. Now, I think you probably are squirming in your seat a little bit right now. I know that I am a little bit up here as I preach this. You know, you, you're always thinking, am I really living up to what I'm preaching? And the answer is usually no. Uh, that this is, I'm preaching to myself first. These truths are difficult. All of us have areas where we fail on these things, do we not? Now, this particular point is incredibly practical. Considering eternity will affect and possibly change every decision that you make in managing your life. You see, our, we, live as if our, our, we live as if our days, we, we live our days, that is, in the here and now. We live in the temporal. Therefore, many times we make decisions based on what we see, based on what we, what we are experiencing. Many times we decide what to do based on the lay of the land, if you will. Let me just give you a few huge decisions that we make many times, many times without even thinking about the, the, the eternal. 
We, we make decisions like where we go to school, where we'll live, how we'll manage our resources, who, we'll, who we will marry, the type of career we pursue, the city or country where we'll work, we, where we'll join a church, when we will start a family, how we will educate our children, where we will send our kids for college or, co- or higher education. We make all these decisions, but we make them based on the here and now. We don't even consider the eternal consequences of each of these decisions. They have a, if we, each of these decisions have a, has a huge impact on how we spend our time, and, yet, and, and most of these decisions will affect how you spend the rest of your life. Therefore, each decision must be carefully weighed uh, considering eternity, considering the eternal ramifications of each of those decisions. You see, the world makes these decisions by looking at personal happiness and fulfillment, do they not? For example, the world may choose the most prestigious schools because that will give them a jump on the best career path. Then they take that career path, which will yield, they take the career path, <coughs> which will yield the most wealth and power and prestige. They want to retire to the most exclusive areas where they can enjoy the fruit of their life of work. They never They never stop to consider God. They never stop to consider that death and judgment could be just are are just around the corner. In Luke uh, 12, 16, Jesus tells a parable. This parable goes like this. He says, The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began to reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease and eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, (coughs) You fool! This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, as a Christian, every decision you make in your life, no matter how mundane, must be made with eternity in view. Everything you do, no matter how common, should be considered in light of an eternal future. Charles Spurgeon says this, (coughs) Serve God by doing common actions and in a heavenly spirit. And then if your daily calling only leaves you cracks and crevices of time, fill them up with holy service. In other words, serve God with your entire life. A decision to do this will have indelible impact on how you live. You never know what tomorrow may bring. Here's, Here's what's amazing. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we know something of eternity, don't we? do we not? We know where we're going to be for eternity if you're in Christ. You don't know what tomorrow will bring, but you, you can be certain where you're going to be for all of eternity. Therefore, make your decisions with eternity in view. I can't even, I can't even, I don't know if I can stress that enough, that we have to look I mean, this is the temporal. This is eternity. Why are we making decisions based on this? 
when we have this. I can't even say enough how much it is. Fifth principle. Fifth biblical principle for using your time and resources. You must consider eternity when you use your resources, including your time. Now, you may be saying to me, Paul only mentions time. Just to, just to remind you, we're in Ephesians 5, 15, or 16, where Paul says, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. You may be saying, I, I struggle enough with time. You don't have to push me on my other resources. Well, I bring up other resources, including your money, because time is related to your possessions. Let me put it this way. The more you own, the more time you have invested and will invest in earning and keeping those possessions. Hope you understand that. Therefore, you are called to use your resources according to uh, including time, that is, for the purpose of the kingdom. Now, you've, we've all heard the phrase that time is money. We generally think of the businessman when, he, when we hear this phrase, you know, right? He doesn't want to waste his time doing things that are non-value-added. So he says time is money. Now, I would argue that, that we should understand this from a biblical point of view. Any investment you make, generally requires your time and your energy, and there's only so much of both. You understand? If you invest in something, you only have, it requires your time and energy, and you have a finite amount of both. Therefore, you need to wisely choose how you invest your time and resources. You need to, you must, and I keep saying must, because if you don't, it, it's not going to work. So, And we all fall short, right? We all have problems. We all fall short. I'm just saying that if you want to be pleasing to God, if you want to live wisely, then you will consider these things. You will consider eternity as you consider how you use your time and resources. In Luke 16, Jesus tells an incredibly interesting story about a shrewd manager. You can turn there if you'd like. Luke 16.1 Luke 16, 1, he was, he, it says, and he was saying, he was also saying to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? Am I not strong enough to dig? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know I know what else to do. I shall do, so that when I'm removed from the management, people will will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, "How much do you owe my master?" And he said, "A hundred measures of oil." And he said to him, "Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So let me stop right there. So the manager knew that the, the rich man was about to fire him, get rid of him. 
So therefore he reasoned with himself and said, I need to make friends who can help me while I can still do so. So he gave huge discounts on the money owed or the, or the product owed to his, uh, to his master. And he did this to make friends who would help him later when he needed it. Now look at verse 8, if you're, if you're in that section. He says this, And his master praised the unrighteous manager, because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Do you know what Jesus is saying to the sons of light? He's saying, you know what he's saying here? He's saying, you need to use your money and your resources, the wealth of unrighteousness, for eternal purposes. So that when your wealth fails, and it will fail, when your health fails, and it will fail, you will have stored up treasures in heaven. It's always interesting to me when folks argue who argue theology and say that's a mark of godliness, right? They sit around and they, they, argue, they argue theology and, and they think that that makes them godly. But, but then they turn around and they're unwilling to share their wealth and resources with others. James says that kind of faith is a dead faith and it, it won't save you. Believe me, what you do with your time and what you do with your money and your assets will show who you truly are more than anything else. More than anything else. Sixth principle. You must look at your time considering Christ, His kingdom, and His gospel. Remember earlier I said, I mean, this is where we're going to cut to the chase. Remember earlier I said that we're left here given the ministry of reconciliation, that we're left here to share the gospel? <clears throat> well, then this flows directly out of that. That we must, you must look at your time considering Christ, His kingdom, and the gospel. Now, this, time, this principle will lead us into our time of communion, so I just want to give you that, that heads up. You see, Paul didn't want the church at Ephesus to waste their time on endeavors that weren't furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you understand the power of the gospel, if you understand what God is really doing on, uh, it, through the church on this earth, why would you ever spend time on anything other than ensuring its proclamation? Now, I want to be careful. Let me be clear here. I'm not saying that you need to quit your job and start preaching the gospel. What I am saying is that your time and resources should be used at least to the support of preaching the gospel. Everything that you do uh, should be in light of preaching the gospel, in light of furthering the gospel. The mother raises her children, right? She raises her children preaching the gospel to, to them but she also, the desire would be that they go out and do what? That they become believers and they preach the gospel. 
I'm reminded of the story of Andrew Fuller and William Carey. Fuller remarked to a group of Christians, which included Carey, he says, uh, he says this, there's a gold mine in India, but it seems as deep as the center of the earth. Who will venture to explore it? An answer and a man were in waiting. He says this, I will venture to go down, but remember that you must hold the ropes. That's William Carey that said that. Mr. Fuller said after, afterward, this we solemnly engage to do, pledging ourselves never to desert him as long as we should live. Uh, William Carey spent 41 years in India and translated the scripture into 40 different languages while he was there. See, that's, a, that's a, an example of two men who considered their lives and their resources in light of Christ and his kingdom, right? They, they pledged both in different ways, but they pledged their resources in, in different ways but for the same purpose, right? So let's stop here. And I'm going to pray to, as we close the sermon and we're going to have a time of communion. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, my prayer is that we take heed of what Paul has written here. Very clearly, we are to use our, our time. We are to redeem the time. We are to use our time for the purpose of the gospel. Because the days are evil. Satanic control of this world that we live in. Father, I pray that we would consider these things. In Christ's name, amen.